0: to growing up with Dr. Sarah. You know, every parent wants what's best for their child as they grow up. And this week's guest is Frances Fishman. She's the founder and owner of a company called The Playbase. And what The Playbase does is they have an approach to children with autism spectrum disorder to reach their developmental, educational, social and emotional, as well as psychological needs. So we're going to cover some several topics today with Francis. I'm really excited to have her on my show and most specifically a lot about what something called ABA which I'll let her explain what that is and how it can help with autism. So thank you Francis, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, sure. So tell us about yourself and how the Playbase came about.
1: Sure. So, um after graduating, my doing my undergrad, I found a job that was entitled therapist that did not require my PhD or my masters and I was like, "Oh, this is exciting." So I applied. And, you know, I believe everything happens divinely, exactly as it should. And I was put in the best hands possible. I was trained by a behavior analyst who's a psychologist, so a BCBAD. And she trained me in a really play based, naturalistic approach to applied behavior analysis. And that year really transformed me and the trajectory of my entire career and my life. Um, I fell in love with this field. I fell in love with the work. I fell in love with the kids that I got to work with. I fell in love with working in schools and camps and in homes and supporting parents and educators and children and the whole community at large. It was something that really spoke to my soul. Um, and from there, I decided to become a behavior analyst myself. I did my master's in developmental psychology and education because I loved, I didn't want to focus just on the behavior. I've always wanted to be a psychologist. There's just something about learning about how the brain works, why we do the things that we do, what's you know created us from within. Um, so I took that approach, did the behavioral science coursework, became a board certified behavior analyst and learned that. The majority of North America does ABA differently than I do. So I decided to go work for an organization as a behavioral therapist instead of a behavior analyst. Usually the behavior analyst oversees the behavioral therapist. But I was like, this is an approach I'm not used to, an approach called discrete child training. So I went and I worked for an organization that offered this approach. And it just did not align with who I was, what felt good in me what I felt my clients really needed. um, And I felt kind of handcuffed in what I was able to do. Um, I saw also the results of children who received this approach for many years. And the results that I found was that they were very scripted, um, compliant, robotic, but didn't really know who they were, Mm -hmm. what they loved, Uh. what lit them up from inside, what you know, they knew that they had to answer and respond and behave in a particular way, but they didn't really know who they were and it didn't feel good for me. So I started the play base wow. and I started recruiting and training therapists and now board certified behavior analysts who have been under my supervision and hired other behavior analysts to who, whose vision and whose souls aligned with mine in that, the therapy should be one with dignity, should be one where you meet the child where they are, where you're building skills that are meaningful for them, that you're building off of the things that light them up, that excite them, that motivate them, and working on those places that they shy away from, that they don't feel that confidence and that they don't, you know, want to show up in because those places are hard, and giving them the tools and navigating them and showing them a different way. Um, and it's been the most exhilarating, most meaningful most challenging but most incredible thing i've done outside of being a parent myself
0: i love how brave you are to just take you know get get uncomfortable and being able to say this is not right for me because that's hard for people i i know even for myself i we had a little discussion about how i said i love doing the podcast but it's you know outside of this microphone i get uncomfortable so for you to really take that bold step is really inspiring and especially because it's because you had a passion and you said exactly what I was thinking. I you it sounds like you're meeting the kids where they're at. You're meeting the families where they're at and really taking like a holistic approach basically instead of like you said something that's so black and white and unfortunately healthcare whether it's mental health oral health you know, physical health, I always say it's, it's not black and white. It is so full of color and it's just finding out, you know, meeting the kids and the families where they're at. And you mentioned that and I was like, that is so awesome. I I love that approach. So tell me, how is it different than your typical ABA um, therapy?
1: So the Playbase uses a play-based naturalistic child-led but adult-guided approach that I like to say is a holistic view. Usually we look at behavior, right? A behavior analyst is looking at someone's behavior in, in their environment and they're looking at the contingencies between the child or the individual and the environment. How are those two interacting? But what we really know is that our behavior is the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that is underneath that is invisible, you know, and Sometimes we need to rule out whether there's a medical condition. Sometimes we need to rule out whether there is a learning need. Sometimes we need to rule out whether there's something underlying that. There's also attachment. There's also trauma. There's also our inner voice. There's also our confidence. There's all these different layers that are invisible to the naked eye. We can't see those things, but we can feel them. Intuitively. We can pick up on patterns and nuances. We can pick up on, you know, tension. We can pick up on a change in the composure or a change in the facial expression or Mm -hmm. even an eye movement that you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, I saw that. What was that? Whereas you know someone who's engaging in the environment like an educator who's running an entire classroom may not notice that or a parent who's also cooking or dealing with their other children may not notice those little things but are noticing the overt behaviors that we can really see and so certain behaviors appear to come out of nowhere they don't understand why they're occurring but we can pick up on all those little pieces or that's what we're supposed to do and try to piece them to, together to create an understanding
0: of a function of a behavior and, and, I, and so oh go ahead i'm sorry but no, go ahead. well, I, w- I, I I didn't mean to interrupt, but I I, I would imagine too, with the autism spectrum mm-hmm. that that is something that you absolutely need to focus on as well because their development and behavior, like I said, it's it's a spectrum. it is it could be, and so in many ways, some of these kids aren't able to verbally express. Okay. What they're feeling, thinking. And so I love that you use a lot of nonverbal and just you know, some of their behaviors to really get some insight and and get under those layers like you mentioned.
1: Absolutely. And so our approach has always been to meet the child where they are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think traditional ABA or discrete trial training has been a very boxed in, scripted, rigid approach. It's like, here's the textbook to how you do ABA. Yeah, But people don't fit into a box. People don't fit into a textbook. And I once had a client who said, you know, I'm not going to disclose my child's diagnosis because you're going to think, oh, I'm going to go into my textbook and read about banana peel syndrome. Yeah, And then you're going to think my child is banana peel syndrome. My child is the kid you see in front of you. Yes. That's who you need to understand. And so it was such a such an interesting approach. And and it really like taught me something so big in that moment when she was explaining that to educators, like it doesn't matter what his diagnosis is. His assessment tells me about how he learns, what are those nuances? What are those challenges? How do I approach that? But in terms of the actual label, it is a massive spectrum. It is massive. And neurodiversity is like diversity. I don't even like, it is a Incredibly large spectrum to be able to pinpoint where someone falls on that and how everyone on that spectrum could possibly receive one type of of approach to support them. The entire world is unique. Every single mm-hmm. human being on this planet is unique. They will learn in a different way. There will be patterns or similarities. We all have similarities. However, we don't approach every single child in the same way, in the same way that you wouldn't approach every single podcast or every single adult or every single parent in the same way. Mm-hmm. We all... Kind with our own cultural background, with our own beliefs, our own attachment, our own understanding, our own lens of the world, our own understanding, our own neurological makeup that allows us to see the world in a particular way. And it's the most important piece is getting to know that. Yes. And From there. And how do children learn? Children learn through play. Yes. And exploration. That is the, you know, historically, it's how children have always learned and developed it's been through trial and error and picking things up and throwing them even babies they're like taking the food and throwing it on the floor that's play because they're like oh look now mama's or dad or or caregiver is going to pick it up and i'm going to do it again Uh And it happens or the dog (laughs) this. this is so cool that's still play it's you know taking the the phone and pretending to be mom or taking the shopping cart and pretending to go to the grocery store. They're all figuring out how this world works through play. They're testing out social norms. They're testing out what happens in a safe way because play is fun, dynamic and fluid and you can make a mistake. And I mean, people can get hurt, but it doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world in the same way that when you're interacting in a more, You know, sophisticated way in a more like, you know, structured way where an error can mean something more emotional. So play is a really safe, dynamic, fluid way for children to learn. And it's the approach that depending where the child is developmentally that we use. It's about meeting the child where they are. It's about letting them guide us, but then having us lead the way. Because if we only follow their lead, we will get stuck in certain circuits and certain patterns and we want to show them new ways. And so it's not about changing or fixing or altering anyone. The approach is about, hey, I see you. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I love you. Uh And I'm going to teach you some new ways nothing about you is wrong. Nothing innately about you is wrong. I need tools. They need tools. You need tools. We all need tools. And this is the approach that I give is that, you know, if I had somebody teach me specific tools growing up, I probably have a much better, you know, executive functioning and more organization. And there are certain things, you know, I have my own ways of doing them. They're probably not the best. Um, But those are the areas in which I lack, you know, my math skills are not that great, but my emotional intelligence is really high.
0: And those are the skills that I, you know, I use in my work and in my life. And I love how you said, like getting to know them, because I have learned, even though I've been a pediatrician for so many years, that I love knowing the patients and the family story. Because mm-hmm. what that allows me to understand is their perspective yep. and also their barriers
1: because yes.
0: we can provide advice and, you know, this is what you need to do when you go home. But unless you really know their perspective, their barriers and their goals and really meeting them where they're at, I love that you, that you mentioned that. That just gives me chills because otherwise it, we're not going to see good outcomes we're not going to see potential change and this is what we're all striving for is really helping each person each child and family to be better we're not looking for perfection just better so what are some of the potential you know positive effects that you've seen then from this from this type of therapy. And I love, I, before we go into that, I just had a random thought. So I remember one time I, a mom said, you know, cause I was following up and just how is, how is the therapy going and so on. And I remember a mom saying to me, well, it just seems like all they do is play. And I just, I remember kind of smiling to myself. So how would you, answer that to a parent who thinks that, gosh, you know, I'm taking time, we're going here, you know, we're doing this. And it just seems like all they're doing is playing. And unfortunately, what I feel sad about in that situation is that somebody didn't explain it to them, you know, what what their approach was. But it also made me smile that they were using that approach because I 100% agree with meeting the, the kids where they're at. So How would you answer that question or how do you tell families so that they don't think, gosh, all they're doing is playing with my child and they don't really get it? So one of the main things
1: that we do is we provide parent training and it's probably the most important element. And the reason we do that is that the therapist's job is to leave We want to work ourselves out of a job. We want to teach independence, generalization, so that that child or that individual that we're working with has skills that they can use independently across different environments. That's the goal. The goal is never, um, which is why I'm not keen on a tabletop approach. The world does not exist at this table. The world exists out there. And that's where you need to be exploring. That's where you need to be living. That's where you need to be learning because that's where you're going to use those skills. And yes, I can teach certain preliminary skills at a table, but they need to go out there. And so if a parent said to me, and I have heard this before, um, you know, I think they're just playing. I would say, well, let's talk about what you saw. Yeah. And let's talk about what the goals are. And here's how we're embedding these goals in this way. And in fact... I'm happy you saw them playing. Yes. I'm so happy you saw them playing because if you saw what I've seen elsewhere, it might break your heart. I know. To know that your child is like sitting for hours, looking at stimuli, responding. You want them to explore. And if they're only ever sitting in one space and playing, That's equally not as effective. You want them to be incorporating the outdoors. You want them to be incorporating other people. You want, you know, go to the park, go to, you know, um, a local museum, go to the grocery store. Go bake in the kitchen. Go do a science experiment. Go play on the ground. Go to the backyard. Go to the pool. Go to the beach. Go. To, go. Yes. Because we learn through experience. Experience creates that emotional connection to the physical connection, the cognitive connection, and that connection creates a core memory as opposed to. I learned that an elephant looks like this gray purplish drawing with the big letter E on that card. Yes. But an elephant I saw at the zoo. Whoa. And it walked, I could hear the stomping and it was all wrinkly and it looked (laughs) leather and it had like a big trunk. Like that is what learning what an elephant is. If you have access to that. Right. Right. And if you don't, it might be through, this is a toy elephant and this is a video of an elephant Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be an elephant and this is the noise. And You know, that is using play in a dynamic way, but it's incorporating all the different ways in which an individual learns. And I think, you know, one of the things I've experienced in my field is that often when you have a child with either neurodiverse needs or behavioral needs or developmental needs, because of sometimes the behaviors that they engage in, their parents or caregivers or educators kind of keep them in at a fear of what will happen right. when they go out there. Right. Oh. Like there's no fear. It's A, you need to have the tools to understand what's going on. What are those triggers? Like maybe it's overstimulation and understanding what environment might be overstimulating, what you can do about that proactively or reactively. How do you support that child? It's not about, you know, we're going to shelter them from all experiences. It's systematically introduce them so that they're prepared. You're prepared and you go out there and they get to learn from the
0: real world. And that is so true because ultimately and just like in my introduction at the very end we want our children to grow and to thrive and to be as independent as they possibly can and yep. it's it's exciting to see that and stimulation is is a is a big thing especially when it comes I mean we could use all of these skills that you've mentioned with any child you know with any family and I also appreciate the fact that you are educating parents because I always say, you know, you're the first counselor, you're their therapist, you're their 24-7 teacher, counselor, you know, confident, you know, safety officer, you know, everything. And so learning as a parent to, you know, play all those hats and realizing, uh, you know, that that part of it is such a big role because you, I'm sure you have a Um, you know, a finite time with each child. And so it's, you know, when, when people go for physical therapy on their ankle, for example, yes, when they spend time with the therapist, they work on their ankle, but it's the outside work that's just as important. And so I love that you teach parents too, because uh, that is such an important piece of their overall growth and development, both like you said, um, psychologically, socially, you know, emotionally. So well, I love this article that I I, I want to, I'll mention this again at the end, but there is um, a website that, as a pediatrician, I'm so excited that I learned about. It's called, it's us.theplaybase.com, and that's in the show notes, so you don't have to rem- remember that. And um, you have some really great articles in there, and one of them I'd love to kind of hit some highlights on was one that said, titled, The Seven Potential and Positive Effects of ABA Therapy in Autism. And Mm -hmm. the first one that I read was reducing behavioral problems. So tell me a little bit about your experience in in that specifically.
1: Absolutely. Well, one of the main things um, that we focus on in ABA is socially significant behaviors. So you want to make sure that every single whether it be problem behavior or skill acquisition is something that is socially significant. So often we'll have, you know, parents or educators or pediatricians refer um, a parent to us or a parent will contact us because they're seeing quote unquote, like problematic behavior. So whether that be like tantruming or, um, you know, a self injurious behavior or not understanding why they're engaging in any sort of, you know, aggressive behavior or anything like that. So ABA allows us to understand the function of a behavior. Why is this behavior occurring? Cuz behavior is is a communication. Right. What is what is the behavior trying to communicate? What is this individual trying to communicate through their behavior? Is it a need that's not being met? Is it an, you know, do we need to teach a skill a di- to replace that behavior. So one of the main focuses has historically been to alter problematic behavior. And that problematic behavior is more so behavior that is socially, physically, emotionally, or psychologically, you know, detrimental to themselves or to the, those around them. So sometimes, and, and I want to, you mentioned this earlier, and I want to like touch upon it, that ABA is associated with autism. However, the science of applied behavior analysis it can and should be applied across everywhere, like across all places, across all environments. It is something I uh, we provide professional development to educators because it's classroom management, yes. understanding how do you manage behavior. We consult to families who don't have children on the autism spectrum. We, we provide therapy to children who don't have an autism diagnosis. We provide therapy to anyone and really... You know, understanding why behavior is occurring, what is the function of that behavior and allowing for a different skill or a different way or rerouting them to a different route is what we want to do. So it allows for problematic or problem behavior or troublesome behavior to be replaced with a more functional, appropriate behavior that serves the same function. So if the function of the behavior is, I want you to stop. I don't like what you're doing. It feels uncomfortable for me. And the fastest way I've learned to stop something is if I hit you. And if I hit you, you're then shocked and immediately everything stops. Oh, that was easy. I'm going to do that when I need you to stop. Or if I want something, I grab it. Then I have it.
0: And you're talking what, about the child is doing this behavior. Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: for a child. Yeah. So if that
1: so if that's what a child's hitting
0: it, or throwing or keep, keep yes. going. Yeah.
1: Yes. So then as the behavior analyst, I'm trying to understand why is this occurring? Yes. Okay. It, to me, based on patterns of behavior, based on my observations, based on what I've heard, what I've learned, all this information I've collected, this seems to me like the function of this behavior based on pattern, based on history, is that this individual actually wants what's happening to stop. So now what I want is I want to teach this individual a different way to stop. I want to teach them proactively that if I want them to to say stop, if I can get them to say it, or maybe I get them to gesture it, stop, or maybe I get them to point at something that shows the word stop or a stop sign, or I I need them to do like a next, whatever works for them in terms of
0: communication, a different way to get them to stop. So what I hear you saying is you're teaching the child a different behavior. So if they're hitting... And they've learned that if I hit, whatever is happening is going to stop or situation that they're in. And you're teaching them a way to communicate to others that this is how I, I want you to stop, whatever that is.
1: Yes. So it's about replacing the problematic behavior, the behavior that is socially, emotionally, physically, for whatever reason, it's inappropriate or unsafe. We want to replace that behavior with something that is equally going to serve the same function and something that they can do and show them that that's how we're going to respond is we're going to respond to this. And then you coach the environment that if he hits or she hits, what you want to do is you give them a retrial, you know, ask them to use the skill that they are acquiring, you support them in using that skill. And that's when it will stop. Or if you want to turn or and this is like, I'm giving like a very
0: basic, right? We we could talk on this subject alone for an hour, right?
1: Yes, so it helps to reduce problematic behavior because we're understanding the function of that behavior, and we can teach a different skill that will be more functional, more appropriate to use, that serves the same purpose. Yeah, and that's how we reduce problematic behavior.
0: Yes, instead of just saying "don't hit." Yes, you know, which I mean, we don't the- want them to hit, but it, it, but it doesn't really, it won't change the behavior or, um, or help the child because the, again. And that leads into the second, um, you know, advantage, and that is communication, improving communication, because you're right on, I say this all the time in my practice. I say, you know, what, what they're doing is they're, they're communicating. They know what they want to say. They know what they want to do, and they can't say it. They can't do it. Or so, so the, in addition to improving problematic behavior is improving communication skills. Yes.
1: Yes, and usually they go hand in hand, um, because often when we're working on communication skills, we're seeing behavior that needs to be changed. And often when it's possible to use verbal communication, sometimes we're not there yet. Sometimes we're working other forms of communication. Um still communication improvement is an important piece, especially when we're doing early intervention, like with the young, young children, you know, um, I remember working with so many children, um, or consulting at schools where children were biting and at a very young age, biting is, you know, your mouth's way of saying stop or give it because right. I can't say it, I don't know the words and you need to stop right now. Right. So going to, right now um and you know they'd be like oh this child is leaving bite marks and I'm like okay we need to replace that yes yeah so communication is definitely a really big one that we work on um and I think the next one that um that it is probably the most important is independence yes you know Equal to independence is the confidence piece, because in order for us to be independent, we need to have the confidence that we can be. And one of the downfalls of, um, in my perspective of discrete child training or traditional ABA, is that it doesn't give that layer of confidence and independence, because they're often prompt dependent. They're often dependent on the adult and looking to the adult, like, am I doing the right thing? Whereas when you're using an approach... That's focusing on feeding that inner child, that that soul, that that mind to know I can do it. Like I remember working with children and saying, You did it. (laughs) They would go, Oh, yeah. And I say, say it. Yeah. They're like, like, say it louder. They're like, I did it. I'm like, yeah, you did it. You did it. Not because of me. Not because of you did it. And it's like. Oh, oh my God, I can do that. And it's that invigorating feeling of, Hey, I got this. That's what we want to instill that independence and that I can do it. Yes. I can do it. like my children are attending a school and I spoke to a parent of um, a graduate and she said, if I'm going to tell you, my kids left with anything, I'm going to tell you they left with confidence. And I said, well, mm-hmm. if they left with confidence. They left with the knowing that they can handle anything. Yes. And that's what you want for every every individual, the confidence to know, I can handle anything. I can figure, everything is outable because I can do it.
0: Yes. I love that because again, like I said, that's really what we want because eventually, you know, they, whatever the situation, we want them to be able to, as they grow up, be able to have, you know, these skills, and I—I I think even as adults, I—I I love, you know, affirmations are so good. You know, I did it. It feels it feels good for everyone to say that, and yeah. uh, and to feel like they've got the confidence, which is really tough. You know, I see a lot of kids in my practice that just that confidence is an issue. You know, anxiety in general comes in so many different ways whether it's performance anxiety or separation or social and you know it it's hard to generalize anxiety i have kids who just the other day she's doing really good in school she's got friends she can do sleepovers she's a really good singer but she and she wants to do the plays at school but she just can't try out and so she ended up being on the crew which was great it's a good first step and mm-hmm. I was, you know, we really praised her for that. We're like, you did it. You like, like you said, you, you were part of it. And how did that feel? And then, you know, working with her to help the next step, which is maybe just, just getting to that audition, you know, and maybe it's not the, the lead role, but being on stage in general. So I love that step re- approach. And um, this leads to the next one, which is increases life satisfaction, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is that every single individual we meet, work with, interact with, we help them live a more fulfilling life to their fullest potential, a life that makes them feel good in their own body, in their own mind and their own soul that they are living a life that feels good for them that is our ultimate goal um I want to touch upon what you just spoke about because it reminds me so much of my daughter we immigrated from Toronto a year ago and she's like a vibrant like her teachers used to call her the sunshine girl that's Uh who she is um, and she's doing really well in school. She's made friends, but she has this undertone of anxiety. And she's also in a theater program and um refused to do the audition, but they let her read a paragraph instead of sing. She didn't want to sing. Okay. And we watched the movie Sing. Oh.
0: I love in that the movie. movie.
1: Mina, who is so incredibly talented, the elephant, yes, is too scared to audition. That's and right. does the crude work and then they overhear her incredible voice and it's like this it's a i think it'll be an interesting reflection for your your client your patient to to watch this and see like wow like they they would have been so deprived of this talent yes. because she she wasn't confident to stand in front of a, an audience and sing, but then when she does, wow, can she sing? And it's, it's a really beautiful story. So I just wanted to kind of touch upon that one as you, as you mentioned it, cause I was like, Oh, just made me
0: think about the movie and about my daughter. <laughs> yes. That's a great correlation. I love, how old is your daughter? She's seven. Oh, that's awesome.
1: That's yeah. great. Yeah.
0: That's great. It It's hard, you know, and, and yes, getting being, becoming independent enough to be able to do that. And then really, and then that, you know, going back to that movie, I love that movie, by the way. And if you haven't seen it, it's really good. It's, it's, it's a great, great movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that I love to listen to um, Matthew McConaughey's voice. He's just, you uh, know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I digress. Um, <laughs> but what it, you know, in that movie too, I mean, just like seeing her The satisfaction that she gained from finally being able to perform and um, overcoming that fear. So that's such an important tool for all of us. And that again then goes into like the next one, which is boosting social skills because it it is hard you know communicating and putting yourself out there but also i do have a lot of patients that have a hard time making friends too and and that just breaks my heart because i've known them since they were baby and i think they're awesome and i think that they would really others would benefit from knowing them and being a part of their life so how does how does that fit into what you guys work on with the with the children in as far as like boosting that ability to be more social
1: So social skills is a really big part of applied behavior analysis, Um, you know, understanding the social dynamics, um, being able to, you know, read the people with you, understanding what their intentions are, because sometimes that's a a big piece, Um, communicating in a way that other people can receive your information. Um, You know, the, the exchange in a communication, sometimes we're working with children who have really an incredible amount of knowledge on specific topics and expanding those and being flexible with, this is amazing. Share that information. And- be interested in what other people are sharing with you and learn more because it'll give you a different perspective. And so working on that flexible thinking and working on another piece that has to do with the social skills, has to do with anxiety, has to do with coping. It has to do with changes and all of those things is self-regulation and self-awareness. So being able to be aware of your own state being able to understand what you need in a moment to bring your nervous system to a calmer place, to then to be able to show up in a way in the world, whether that be socially with people, or that be um, to perform, or that be to write a test, or that be to go to bed, however it is that you need to show up. It's understanding your own body, your own nervous system, how it works, what it needs to be able to get to a place where you're able to make a really conscious choice. So sometimes we're dealing with social skills that that are um that are struggling that they're struggling in social skills because of anxiety. Yes. And so it's about both teaching the skills and giving the confidence while equally focusing on managing the anxiety. And oh, I raised my hand by accident. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> With my hand being up, it did that. Yeah. Um so, <laughs> so it's it's that piece that really impacts all the different areas that we navigate, that that social awareness that um self-awareness and understanding how do we navigate both because right now i'm engaging with another individual i have to be aware of what i'm feeling i have to be aware of what they're feeling and what we're engaging in in order to navigate the social interaction which is a lot to navigate and depending on the way in which you think you might need to focus in more on the individual, or you might need to focus in on self-regulation to be able to do that. So figuring out what that individual needs will teach them how you know to socialize if need be. We'll teach them different ways. We'll give them opportunities to practice in in real settings um, and support them through it. Or we're going to focus in on calming that nervous system. Mm-hmm. I hear you know that voice that's telling you um, you're stupid or you don't have something to contribute or you really don't, you can't sing or whatever yeah. it is, that inner voice working on supporting them through that. You know, one of the the big things I teach children is that our thoughts aren't all real. They're just not, I can think the sky is purple and it's just not
0: right. Not right. Um,
1: I can think lots of things that are not true. And so sometimes we hear things in our head and then we have to be like, Oh, well, that's a thought. And that's not true. Right. Really. I'm re- I, I am awesome. Yes. <laughs> I have something to say and to contribute. And so work there's so many inner workings around that that we work on. Um, and I wouldn't say that most traditional ABA does that, but it is a part of acquiring social skills. Um,
0: it all falls into that as well. It's so important because what you bring about, I talk a lot with Families about cognitive behavior therapy or CBT, and yep. you know, with the older children, and I'll write it down like on the paper on their, you know, exam bed and always talk about thoughts and how thoughts create feelings, feelings create actions. Those, these all affect our body, right? And, uh, and that there's like, there's a circumstance or something like the sky, or maybe, you know, even parents, I'll be like, somebody cut you off, you know, when you were driving on your way here to my office. And that's a circumstance. And what, how we think about that circumstance is really what helps us respond or feel. And so, but that it's, that's a, hard topic. I mean, even as an adult, I have to remind myself of that as well. And, But you touch on the fact that our thoughts, when we have a thought, I try to explain to people, ask yourself, number one, is it true? Mm -hmm. And number two, is it helpful? Mm -hmm. Because maybe it's true or maybe it's not true, but Is it, is it helpful what you're thinking is if you're saying, you know, I, I will bring up, I shared with you that my nephew who I'm extremely close to, he's 11 years old and has awesome parents and, um, and he's, he's autistic and he is really thriving. But I do notice sometimes when we're interacting is he'll say, you know, especially, you know, she'll correct him if there's something, a behavior or, you know, redirect him, like you said, and he'll say, am I bad or I'm sorry, you know, he, he, and, and it's like helping him realize that that thought is not true. And mm-hmm. and so that's exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's not true. So it's re you know, rewiring though that thinking, which is not like I said, not easy for anybody, but I I I've seen that CVT coming in, you know. Absolutely. And I think equally
1: as myself as an adult, if I've done something wrong or I've upset somebody or disappointed somebody, it's you know, I can I can You know, go into my head about how terrible I am for doing that thing. And equally, you know, my daughter or my son or my younger daughter, if they do something, they might be like, I don't know if that, like, my daughter has said, Am I a bad daughter or, or something? And I go, No, we all make mistakes. And for the rest of your life, if there's something that's true, it's that you will continue to make mistakes. Yes. I will continue to make mistakes. There's, one truth. And that is we will continue to fail and make mistakes. And the beautiful part about that is that we learn from them Mm -hmm. and it's through our mistakes that we learn. And so kind of like normalizing the failure, normalizing the redirection and normalizing that it's, it's okay to make mistakes. Like none of them have to be tragic or, I mean, there are mistakes that can be that way, but none of the mistakes they're really making are, you know? Right. And normalizing the fact that it's okay to make a mistake. And, you know, even for ourselves as as parents, I think, I mean, the last part of it is promote better parenting. Yes. And as a mom of three, oh my gosh, I can tell you mom guilt is a real, real oh, thing. Yes. And the fear of making a mistake or screwing up my kids or doing something is like loud in my head. But one of the things that I always teach parents is that you're going to make mistakes yes, and okay. But the way in which we approach them, the way in which we repair from our mistakes, the way in which we learn from them, the way in which we communicate with our kids, the way in which we communicate with ourselves after is really, you know, the key. And so the biggest, um, the biggest lesson I teach parents is that we are models. Mm. We can say whatever we want to say, but kids watch what we do, not listen to what we say. Mm -hmm. So I have a reel on Instagram that I made about how parents come to me and they're like, oh, my kids just don't listen to me. And I say, you're right. They're not listening. They're watching. Yes. And so I might say to them one thing, but then behave in a totally different way. And what they heard was, oh, but look at what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And what they heard goes into the back and what I'm doing goes to the forefront and that's what their model is. So you, if we want our kids to communicate in a particular way, to be self-regulated, to engage in the world in a particular way, we first have to make sure that we are ready to present ourselves in that way, yes. that we're able to self-regulate at least part of the time. That we're able to communicate in that way
0: at least part of the time. Cause
1: sometimes I'll listen to my kids and I'm like, oh, is that what I sound like?
0: I know. <laughs> well, and it's just like how even toddlers, you know, repeat things. I'll hear things and I'll be like, well, they didn't come up with that on their own. Or yep. or will and then on the other hand, I'll I'll be saying stuff like, like, this is this is, you know, completely you know, not behave, well, it's behavioral in a way, but I'll talk about even just oral health and brushing their teeth. And, and they'll be like, well, uh, dad doesn't brush his teeth, you know, or, you know, dad lets me sit in the front seat or I'm sorry, dads, moms can do that too. I'm just saying, they always seem to throw the dads (laughs) under the bus. I apologize, but it, it, they are watching, they're watching everything. I mean, that, that we do and, and modeling can be, All of those things, even nutrition and bedtime. And like I was, um, I just did a webinar on sleep and just modeling that, yeah, I really want to watch this show or, you know, look at more TikTok videos. But I know that sleep is important. So I'm going to put my phone down. And get ready for bed. So it's, it's every aspect of life. And and honestly, that's one of the main reasons why I even started the podcast was because I really want, it trickles down, you know, to our kids. So I, I love that that's such an important piece, um, is helping parents. And you're right, we're not going to be perfect. I, I've said this before. My sister-in-law asked me when the kids were growing up. She's like, because you're a pediatrician, and you might get this too, because you're you know uh, a therapist, do you... Do you find that, uh, you know, you're the perfect parent? And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, no way. Because they're so different and the environment changes and developmentally, it's I've loved every stage and it's challenging. Now I'm a parent of adult children and, and that's, you know, that I still think sometimes in my mind that mom guilt, like you said, I'm like, man, did I, did I mess them up? But, you know, I probably did you know, didn't always do the right thing, but hopefully they learned, we all learned from it. So, well, I can't thank you enough for, for joining me. I'm. This is so exciting. I love the work that you're doing. I really do. And I want to tell people how to contact you. So what's the best way to reach out or even on social media? How can they follow you? Yeah,
1: they can follow The Playbase on Instagram and on TikTok. You can find us on LinkedIn as well. Um, if you are American, our website is us.theplaybase.com. If you are Canadian, it's theplaybase.com. And you can always reach out via email. You can email me directly at francis at theplaybase.com.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for, for joining me. We've already talked about coming back on the show because I'm excited to see you. You tell me a little bit about new adventures that are coming up for you. Yeah. So,
1: well, right now we have a free, uh, 10 minute mini course. It's a free one for any family who has a child recently diagnosed with autism. And it's called, what do I do now? It's just going over five simple things that you can focus on right now at a time that is often quite overwhelming. Um, and After that, we are currently in the editing phases of providing courses online for parents and eventually for educators and therapists on different topics in behavior and supporting children and mental health. So you'll be looking out for those and probably in our next podcast, we'll talk more about them because they'll be out. But the free mini course, if you are looking for it, is on our website or you can also email me and I will send you a link. Um, It's free. So there's... There's nothing um, to commit to except 10 minutes to sit
0: and um, fill your heart, mind, and soul. Thank you so much again. And I wish you the best of luck in your growth. I, I would love to see, I know you're in Florida physically. And yes. uh, boy, would I love in the future to see this all over the country and uh and working on it (laughs) absolutely i i um i think it's awesome the work that you're doing so thank Mm -hmm. you again and thank you for joining us on growing up with dr sarah thanks for listening to another episode of growing up with dr sarah if you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else take a screenshot of the episode and post to your instagram story Make sure you tag us at Growing Up with Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www.growingupwithdrsarah.com contact. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.